0: All right, so we, um, by the way, I'm Ben, the pastor here, if I haven't met you. Hey, hey, Alan. Um, and so we've we started a series, a short series. It's going to be about, I think, looks like three weeks. So Next week will be the last of this series, just looking at the one another's in the New Testament. And I cheated, I think, the first week and looked in Genesis, but it wasn't a one another. It was just a setup for the one another's, right? But mostly we're just looking at the New Testament. There's 59 of these one another commands. Okay. There's way more than 59 places where one another is used, but not, they're not commands. They're just they spoke to one another and that kind of thing, which would not be helpful for this. So there's 59 of these. I'm not going to read them again this morning. I read them last week. But if if you get the notes, my sermon notes, which are on the back table there in the room, if you're online, they're linked in the description of the video you're looking at. And you can read them off. I would encourage you to do, like, your own Bible study. This is a really fun one, and I've made it easy for you because I've listed the verses for you right here in the notes. And just look at all of these in their context and ask yourself, like, how does this text define, like, for if it says we encourage one another, well, how does this scripture define encouragement? Don't just assume you know what that means because you kind of know, but you kind of don't, Right? And so just begin to do, if you do that with all of these, you'll come away with some pretty rich stuff. Um, So that's, you know, if if you don't know what else to do in your Bible study time, this is a good one, all right, to just go through these verses together. It's basically what I'm doing, okay? Uh, So last week we talked about encouragement, encourage one another, and I think it was, what was it? I can't remember now. Encourage and serve, that was it, thank you. Um, So this morning I want to look at um, love one another, which is John's, if you look at the list, I counted 11 love one another. So it's, it's the most repeated one another in the Bible. And all of them, I think except for Romans, comes from John the Apostle. It's John's gospel and then John's letters. In John's gospel, he's reporting to us how Jesus said love one another. And then in John's letters, he he's sort of He's like a, a skipping record player. You don't even remember skipping record players. Uh, it's just repeating love one another, love one another, love one another, over and over. That's John's thing. And you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's just kind of, that's his message. He's a simple man. And, and I think it's important, like we could take, take love one another and we could look at the whole Bible. How does God define loving one another. And that's a really good thing to do. In fact, you could just look at pretty much all the other one another's and use those as a definition of what it means to love one another. Uh, But I want to do something a little more focused this morning, which is just look at what John says about loving one another. Kind of in a way to honor John, because John was like, hey, I need you to listen to this one thing I have to say. And, and I'm going to repeat it until somebody listens to me. So I, want, I kind of just want to say, let's listen to John today, all right? Um, and, and what does he mean by loving one another? And just let it, him define it for himself instead of doing a big, broad, kind of broad-scoped study of that word, all right? So, that's, so, so don't come up to me after the sermon and say, you know, First Corinthians 13, why didn't you mention that? Or why didn't you? Because I am just didn't, all right? Um, we're just letting John talk this morning, okay? So let's start with, John chapter 13, this is obviously John's gospel, and he's reporting, this is Jesus speaking, and John's reporting on it, and he says in verse 34, so this is John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love how he repeats to love one another in, two, in like one sentence multiple times. That's John, right? He's trying to get through to us. So for an English speaker, you might read that phrase, just as I have loved you, as kind of like saying, because I have loved you. And that is true, and John makes that point later. We're going to get to that, but that's not what it's saying here. What what, what this means is in the same way or in the manner in which I have loved you, love one another. That's a slightly different nuance. It's kind of important because it's not just saying love you, love each other, just kind of in a general undefined love, like however you think, whatever you think love is, love each other. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, love one another the way I have loved you. Now that brings up the question, right? That begs the question, well, how has God, how has Jesus loved us? What would John, how would John say Jesus has loved you? Well, Jesus died for you. The first clue we get is right here, right before Jesus says this, he washed the disciples' feet, and we talked about that last week, which was a pointing towards the cross that was coming right around the corner. Jesus says, I'm going to, you think this is crazy that I'm washing your feet? You just wait and see what I'm about to do, how I'm about to serve you. And John says, that's love. That's the love that John is talking about, okay? He's talking about love that is like how Jesus loved us on the cross. Jesus is inviting us to compare our love with his love, in other words. Now, that's scary. It's easy to say I'm a very loving person when you're comparing yourself to other people, isn't it? I'm just, just, you know, as an empath. I just find it very easy to love other people. What do you mean? Like, you mean you're just more loving than, like, your neighbor, than that jerk on the highway, than your boss, or I'm more loving than the father that didn't love me, right? You're comparing yourself to other human beings when you say I'm a very loving person. But what happens when you say, when you compare yourself Jesus. Do you you feel very loving? (laughs) No. Suddenly you have this, because he's perfectly loving. He's the ultimate form of love. He is love incarnate. He is the exemplary, there is no greater example of love than Jesus. And if Jesus is commanding us to love one another like that, well then we have a serious problem, don't we? We are Suddenly going, well, my love is pretty unbelievably deficient. My love is only really there when I think it will be returned to me. It's really easy to love somebody that loves you. My wife loves me very much. I find it incredibly easy to love her. But what about when you're in the middle of an argument and a fight, and the words coming out of her mouth are not nice anymore? and I'm being kind of a jerk. That's when it's hard, isn't it? Well, Jesus what he, Jesus died for his enemies. Oh, like that's, that's tough. So this is, we have to be careful here when, to, when we approach this topic because we use this word love so often and we hear it so often. I love you. I love you too. I love you back. Love you mean it. Right? We throw these things around. We have bumper stickers on cars like everywhere that just says love with like, you know, butterflies or hearts. You know, like, what does it even mean? Well, I love people. I'm a loving kind of person. But compared to Christ, it's a different conversation. So the love of Jesus is perfectly sincere, perfectly kind, perfectly forthright, perfectly passionate sacrificial, unhindered, unrestrained, eternally faithful, and overflowing. It's everything in 1 Corinthians 13 and more. It's every one of those one another's. He has done them all perfectly for you. That's the kind of love we're talking about. John here seems to be emphasizing the sacrificial aspect of Jesus' love. It's kind of where John goes repeatedly when he talks about love, is the sacrificing, self-sacrificing love of Jesus for us. And that's the kind of love, when he thinks of love and he says love one another, he means lay your life down for one another. Let's look at John 15, 12 to 13. This is Jesus again. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So after a brief interruption, so you follow the story here? The disciples, like Jesus says, love one another, and then they immediately just sort of change the subject. and like, But you just said you're going to die, and they're hung up on that for, for good reason. We'd be hung up on it too. And then he, he kind of helps them with that, and then he comes back to what he just said. And he says this again, but he says, but here he emphasizes that, that they express their love to one another sacrificially. You lay down your life for your friends. So John would say, and I think Jesus would say, the way you can tell someone is loving is if they are dying, if they're willing to die. That's what it means to lay down your life. That's that's not a sweet metaphor. Jesus, This is coming out of the words of Jesus who's about to die so when you look at jesus how do you know he's loving how do you know jesus is loving you right now it's because he died for you that's a very stark and hard to avoid standard isn't it this also harkens back to the foot washing he's just done serving one another is john john's idea of how to best love one another jesus is not only loving he is love itself He embodies the very meaning of the word. This is why he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, or by laying your lives down for one another. So, when people look at you, look at us, the church, they should see us so radically loving each other that we are willing and and almost eager to die for each other, that there's no hesitation. That we just lay our lives down like our needs, our life, the very breath in our lungs is expendable in the service of one another. I'm willing to spend all of it to love you. And when the world sees that, they'll go, That's what Jesus is like. You've been with Jesus because Jesus was like that. We can move on to John's epistles. So now it's not John reporting on what Jesus has said. John is talking in his own voice to the church and to us. He says, this is 1 John 3, 11 to 15. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So I think right there in verse 11 shows us that John's primary message that he got from Jesus was to love one another. Jesus said other things, but John's summary of Jesus' message was love one another it's why he's so into repeating it all the time like if you were to ask him like summarize everything jesus ever taught you every every word from his mouth everything he ever did everything he ever showed you can you summarize it in one phrase he would say love one another so here he gives us a negative example of love we can learn a lot from negative examples cain is a great negative example the opposite of what it looks like to love one another, is Cain versus Abel. Abel's, um, Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God. If you remember the story, Abel's was to rec- was received by God. Cain's was not. Cain be- began became jealous towards Abel because Abel was righteous and was received by God. Cain was rejected. Cain himself was not rejected. His offering was rejected. All he needed to do was change his offering and come back to God, but he didn't. Instead, he got jealous of Abel. We've all been jealous. I think this is really interesting, almost as a side note about jealousy. The unrestrained jealousy develops into hatred, and unrestrained hatred develops into murder. The ultimate end. Jealousy is not satisfied until it is not... I'm not just happy, if I'm honest, with my jealousy... That this jealous thing in me doesn't just want to have what you have. It wants what you have removed from you. so you no longer have it. And if you're jealous of someone else's life, that that is a, jealousy is murderous. That is murder, that's crazy. This is Cain. Cain began with jealousy, and he festered, and it festered, and he said, ah, I want Cain's place. I want his place, and so I'm going to go take it, and I'll do whatever I have to do to take it, and that resulted in him killing his brother. And so John looks at that, and he says, that's the opposite of what I'm calling you to do. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is simply when you look at someone else getting blessed, to actually have joy that they're being blessed. To be jealous of, for their blessing over yourself to want them to be pushed forward and to succeed more than you to be more interested and more emotionally um, behind their blessing and their advancement and their joy in god than you are in yourself to prefer someone else above yourself that's what john is calling us to do that requires a lot of sacrifice because that means you've got to stop chasing after your own thing and chase after someone else's. Love wants the other to be blessed, fruitful, and successful. Love fights first for the blessing of the other before their own blessing. Love gives the other the best portion, the greatest share, the first place, the best parking spot, the best seat, the choicest morsel. Love is not satisfied with its own joy, blessing, and satisfaction. Love wants the life to be shared to the other. So when you you go in the kitchen and you get you and your friend a bowl of ice cream. You know how it is. We're all like three years old in our hearts. And you look at the two bowls you have created. There's one that's a little better than the other. Come on. And you look at that bowl of ice cream and you go, oh, that's the one I want because that's kind of the best one. It's just got the right mix of everything and the right bits and the right amount of chocolate and whatnot. It's, it's the best one. It's just how it worked out. And then you have the two bowls in your hand and you're walking into the living room. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't like ice cream, just make it a brownie or a piece of cake, whatever, right? There's one that's just slightly better than the other which one do you hand to your friend cuz nobody knows the decision happening in your heart in that moment right only you and Jesus <laughs> well you're like oh, he's not i'm sure he doesn't care about this ice cream right and what we come on I'm, maybe i'm the only one i'll expose myself all right i'm keeping the my the best one for myself every time. That's, that's the heart of Cain. Right there. I want mine. I want the best one. The only difference between you and your two-year-old is that your two-year-old hasn't learned yet to keep that, those thoughts inside. <laughs> Instead, they go to war over who has... And you can... Look, parents, you know you can make them absolutely identical, and they'll see a difference. There'll be one that they think is better and one that's not as good, and they will fight over the one they think is better. It's the heart of Cain. It's the opposite of the heart of of love. The heart of Christ says, "I I want you to have the best thing, the best morsel, the best thing in life, the best part of me, the best part of our life, the best part of life in general. I want you to have the best seat. I want you to have the best parking spot. When you drive through a parking lot and you see the best parking spot, what happens in your heart? You want to start racing towards that parking spot. And you see somebody else and you think they might get my parking spot. It's the best one. I must have the best one. I can't walk two steps more. It might kill me. And so you race towards that spot. And if you're too slow or they, kind of act rudely and zip in there before you. What happens in your heart? You, it's not fair! That's the heart of Cain. And this is what John sees. And I think John is combating this thing of, uh, of, of a self-focused, unloving, Cain-like heart. But because this kind of love is only available in Christ, John sees it as the most visible demonstration of your identity as a Christian. You want to know if you're a Christian or not, he says. Look at whether or not you're loving or not. If you love like Jesus, you must belong to him. If you hate like Cain, you must not belong to Jesus, is the way he puts it. So 1 John 4, 7 to 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another. So, When he says beloved, that's like he's talking to the Christians. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So love is from God. Remember, don't, don't weaken your definition of love here. Okay? I'm not am not talking about good vibes, man. I'm talking about this kind of love that John has defined for us as being sacrificial in the way love as Jesus has loved. In the same way Jesus loved, that's the kind of love he's talking about. That love can only be gotten from God. You can't get it anywhere else. It is not in you. You can look inside yourself. It is not there. Because every single time, what you will choose to do is to keep the better ice cream for yourself. Every single That is what's in you. That's, what's, that's the kind of love you have. You have a kind of love that is, that is willing to sacrifice a little, but not that much. You're willing to love when it's returned to you consistently. And the the more it's returned to you, the more you give it back. That's how, how we love. But that's not how God loves. That kind of love comes from God. God owns love. He owns it. It's his thing. It's his idea. It's his to define. Anyone that loves in the way that God defines love is a Christian. Isn't that fun? If you love the way God loves, you're a Christian. It's powerful. This is so because loving like Jesus is impossible without the kind of transformation that only Jesus can do. So I think we need to, before you get, like I mentioned last week when we're dealing with the commands of God like love one another and then we define love this way, it can be disheartening. There's a tension you feel. Well, I'm not loving that way. I feel like a big loser and now I'm just going to walk out of here feeling like a big loser and you have to you can't divorce god's commands from his love so when god says love one another he's not saying it with a mean voice he's not saying it angry at you because you're not doing it right he's saying love one another because it's the best way it's the best thing it's where the joy is it's where the life is it's where the hope is it's where the good stuff is in life is loving one another like this And also, when he commands us to do something, it comes with the power to do it. And I think this is part of where John is coming from. He's saying, this kind of love comes only from God. So to get this kind of love, you have to be loved by him. You have to know him. You have to be connected to him. You have to be plugged in to his love, because if you're not, you won't have it. All you got is your kind of love, which is really faulty. It's all you have. Because it doesn't originate with you. It doesn't originate with any human being. Any love that originates with you is an inferior form of love. It might be love, but it's a lower form of it. It's not the kind of love we're after. It's not the kind of love that changes the world and shows the world that we've been with Jesus. This kind of love only comes as a response to being first loved by Christ. It's the kind of love that would not only Die for a friend, but also an enemy. That's how Jesus puts it. I mean, it's great, We you die for a friend. That's what he's calling us to do for each other. Beloved, love one another. Beloved, lay your lives down for one another. Prefer one another over yourself. Give each other the best, not the least. But Jesus didn't just die for his friends, he died for his enemies. That's incredible. He died for the people, not just the people who were weeping over his death, but for the people who were cheering over his death. He didn't die for the ones that just, that recognized him as the Messiah, but he also died for the ones that were mocking him. He didn't just love those who didn't love him back. He loved those who hated him back. That's incredible. That's the kind of love that's so beyond my reach as a human being, I can't even fathom it. But once this love is deposited in you and put into your heart by the love of Jesus for you, once you see he loves me, he really loves me, and it's not me. It's not, I haven't impressed him. I haven't conjured up his love for me by me being a good person or being smart or having it together or pretending to have it together. I haven't, I haven't drawn it out of him in any way. I was his enemy before I knew him and when I hated him and despised him, he loved me. He chose to love me before I was even born. Think of it. Before you could do anything to get his attention at all, he loved you. And his love for you is complete and total. It doesn't go up and down with how you act and what you do or don't do. It is absolutely turned up to 11 (laughs) all the time. All the time. And when you get that, when you start to see that, boy, this thing comes out of you. Suddenly forgiving other people becomes easier. Loving other people when they don't love you back becomes easier. Loving people when they hate you back becomes easier. Loving your enemies, loving your friends, loving your friends when they become enemies. It all becomes easier. It's never easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a hard moment but he chose to love us anyway. And this thing becomes out of you that is not you. It's a different kind of love. It's how marriages survive. It's when at least one of you decides I'm going to love you even when I don't get it back. That's how they survive. That's how friendships survive. You can't be friends with anybody for long before this becomes the issue right? Because one of you is going to let the other down. One of you becomes unlovable. Or one of you, we should say, is revealed as unlovable. (laughs) Because we're all unlovable. There's parts of us that are unlovable. And we're really good at concealing them. And we think, oh, we're really compatible. Me and my best friend, we're just so compatible. We we like the same things. We get along so well. We never fight. Uh, I think you just don't know each other. And eventually you will. And there comes that moment, right, where there's an imbalance, there's a love imbalance. You're not loving me the way I feel like I love you, and I have a choice to make. And that choice is very hard to make, and this is where Jesus was in the garden. I love this last line of the verse we just read in 1 John 4, 11 to 12. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the kind of power that John sees in this kind of other-centered, sacrificial, Christ-sourced love. Like, what if I told you that you could make God the Father appear anytime you wanted? That you could make him appear? I could go to Alan and I could say, do you want to see God? And he's like, sure. And you can just make him appear. Poof. The invisible God appears before you. Well, that's what John says we're doing. When you love like God loves, the invisible God is made manifest. He is made visible. You have brought him into the room and put him on display for this person who has just been loved the way Christ loves. That is an incredible power. That's why John is so excited about it. He's like, I was there when Jesus talked about this. I saw Jesus. I saw how he lived. I saw how he talked. I watched him do the miracles. And if you want to know how to make him seen by the other people who have never seen him before, well, just love like he loves. And what are they going to say? Oh, that's what Jesus is like. I see him. I don't see you anymore. I see Christ appearing out of thin air right in front of me. That's an incredible power we have. And it begins with receiving the love of Christ for yourself. He becomes manifest to you. So my challenge to us this morning is to stop making your love so small and your personal needs so big. This is the temptation of every human being, which is to to go around like you're living inside your own head and inside your own thoughts. And what do your thoughts do? They tell you how much of, how such you're just such a big deal. And your problems are so big. And your weaknesses are so big. And it, become, it fills your entire perspective. And it's all you can see. It takes, you, takes, you like, make, takes me like four hours on a Monday. And by lunchtime, all I can see in the world is me. And John would say, put yourself aside and love like Christ. Let let your love be the big thing. Let other people's needs be the big thing. And when we allow other people to fill our perspective, then it makes our stuff seem smaller, which is a wonderful benefit, isn't it? You're just plugged into Christ, plugged into his love. you. You love me. You love me so much. You, despite my problems, despite my weakness, despite my selfishness, you just love me like crazy and I'm, I'm just a big mess today, but you just love me anyway. Your love is not diminished at all. And as you meditate on that, what happens is other people, you say, oh, i got to share this with somebody else. I want somebody else to see this. And then by the time the day's over, your problems are so small and the love of Christ is so big. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, and I think this was cost of discipleship, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is what that means. This is not a death like other deaths. It's a death required by love itself. It's it's a death that brings life. There's a great story. You may have heard it about John. It's written by the early church historian and scholar Jerome, which I think is just a funny old name. There's a lot of people I know. I know some people named Jerome. But he he wrote this back in like year 368, something like that, writing about Galatians 386, excuse me. I want to get the year wrong. I know you're all going to look it up. But um, <laughs> he told this story. And, I, you know, nobody really knows if it's true, but this is a long time ago. It's, it's certainly feasible that Jerome would have known this story, that John, the Apostle John, was very advanced in years. He was the last living disciple, probably died of natural causes, the only one of all the disciples to die that way. And the story goes that his disciples would come and they would pick him up because he was too old to walk, to worship, and they would pick him up and carry him on their shoulders into the congregation. And they would ask him to speak. I mean, you know, look, if, if John the Apostle is in your church, and he's there, he's he's preaching, right? I don't, you know, we're just going to be quiet. And he would only say one thing, which was little children love one another. And, you know, they'd kind of wait, and he would just say little children love one another. And that's all he'd ever say. And the story goes that his disciples one day asked him, why do you just ever say this one thing? I mean, Jesus taught more things. And Jerome says that John's answer was that it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. And so we can, it's just a beautiful thing to me. That even in his old age that he would, have said, I haven't learned anything else. I'm the last living apostle, and the last thing I want you to hear from the last living disciple of Jesus Christ is little children just love one another. It's the Lord's command. So I would like us to pray um, that our love, our definition of love would be held high to the standard of Christ and not low to the standard of the world. And that we would aspire to that. And that we would remain connected to him together and love each other this way. Amen. So why don't we stand up together. Lord Jesus, we hear your command to love one another. We hear it this morning. God, we want to obey it. John taught us also that basically your love language is obedience. That what you want, how our love is expressed back to you is in obeying your command. And if the question is, well, what's the command? Well, this is the one. (laughs) To love one another as you have loved us. And so, we hear you this morning we hear you Holy Spirit saying this to your church once again repeating this refrain from the beginning of the church to the end little children love one another And so would you help us Holy Spirit would you help us help us to see that we are loved that your love for us is sufficient it's enough it's more than enough. it's far more than enough we see you at the cross. We see you dying for us, laying your life down for us before we could ever do a thing to earn it. We see your love for us demonstrated at the cross, and you're laying your life down for your friends and for your enemies. For us. And we we'll receive your love right now. We we'll receive it from you. God, may we be humbled by your love for us. May, be we, may we be encouraged by your love for us. But on that day on the cross, you knelt down and you washed the world's feet. You bore our sin. When you rose on the third day, you gave us this love. And we carry it right now. We carry it because you are in us, and we are in you. So I pray that this this love that we have, this love that we carry, that is not like any other love, that we would learn to express it and give it to one another, that we would lay down our lives, that we would pay attention to each other more than we pay attention to ourselves, that we would prefer one another over ourselves, that we would strive and pray and work for the blessing of others for the encouragement and the life and the prospering of others over ourselves teach us how to do this Holy Spirit and God we repent right now of selfishness pride self interest self pity all the hyphenated words with the word self in it. God, we repent of that, and we ask you, would you remove it from our hearts that we would be people who are compelled to give away the best bowl of ice cream every time. We pray this in the name of your glorious son, Jesus. Amen.